What's up, guys? Thanks for stopping by Zach Herbert Idea Addict, broadcasting across the fruited plain. Please like and follow uh, me on Facebook, Zach Herbert Idea Addict. I'd really appreciate it. I just felt like ripping a little uh, weekend ep for you. It's Friday night. I had a fantastic day. Kind of feel like the first day of summer. It was it was nice, warm, blue skies, not raining for a change. And I had a, a good business day. I went on two different bids for uh, two bathroom remodels. And re bathroom remodels are really fun because they're simple, they're straightforward, they look really good in pictures after you're after you're done. So that's exciting. And then in between those me uh, meetings, we, me and my wife showed a house that's $500,000 that hopefully the people are going to buy. They're interested in it. House is pretty cool, backs to a private lake. So this was like a really good day. And uh, I actually have had like a pretty good week. We just started on a new flip. And the best part about it is it's literally like a block away from where I live. So obviously I know the neighborhood. I can walk to work. If I forget something um, at home that I need, I can come down. If I feel like coming home for lunch or coming home to see our new baby, you know, it's just su super close. It's also close to like Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards and everything. So that's a plus. The other thing is it has a huge two-car garage. So this last week it hailed or was going to hail two different days. So I was like, well, I don't want my new truck getting hailed on. So I just put it in that garage and then walked down here. And my wife was able to park in our garage because we have a two-car garage, but it's always full of like uh, leftover material from flips. We have two refrigerators in there. We have a range in there um, and just tons of tools and furniture, staging furniture. So it's totally crazy. So it's nice to have basically like a four-car garage now. So amazing. And the flip's been going really good. It hasn't been, there's been zero surprises. Um, we thought we were going to have to replace a roof and we only had to like do some patching. So that's really good. And the people that we bought it from, like, they did like a little bit of like a kind of like half-ass updating. Um, they did these like um, one day, like one day shower tiling things where the, you pay this, I don't, there's a couple different companies in town that do it. You basically like pay these guys and they come in and they put up like a, a prefab like sheet of tile uh, on the walls of your shower or whatever. And they're just total garbage. So those came out really easy. They just come out in one piece. So that's really good. But then along with um, them doing that, they also like put in kind of like new bathroom vanities. And my wife, uh, being the designer, didn't like them, which is fine. So we put them up uh, for sale on Facebook. <clears throat> and um, one guy just came, uh, bought it really straightforward, 80 bucks. And then the next guy was, uh, the vanity was $80 as well. And he came and he like... He couldn't, it's like he couldn't like decide his wife sent him to come get it. And he was like, uh, well, I don't know. Like, this is like kind of rough. You know, I think that she'll probably be okay with it. And it was missing like a backsplash piece. Cause the, the people before had glued the backsplash to the mirror with like an insane amount of glue. There was no way you could get it off. And I wasn't going to like chisel the damn thing off. So I was like, well, it's 80 bucks. Like take it or leave it. You know, there's other people who want it. And he was like asking me about the house, asking me about flipping and, he was like, well, I like, I'm, I'm helping um, some of my clients like sell these commercial properties, like three commercial properties, like tax-free. 
and I, I like work with some other guys that do flipping and they flip like a bunch of houses per year and they're like intentionally like carry some off as losses and blah, blah, blah. So eventually I was like, oh, so, you know, I didn't really care, you know, I was like, yeah, I got like my own thing going on, but I was like, so what do you like an attorney or like, what do you like a personal uh, financial advisor? Like, yeah, like I'm a personal, uh, personal or a financial advisor. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like whatever. Um, and I could tell like he wanted to like get in a conversation with me about like what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. And he's, I kind of told him like, you know, I like flip houses. I like do some like um, tax free flipping. And he was like, oh yeah, he was trying to talk to me about that. And I was like, dude, I literally wrote the book on tax free flipping. I have a book that I wrote published about it. So no offense, but you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. And the other thing is, um, like he was a nice guy, like whatever. I don't, I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but I don't want to like take financial advice from someone who's literally buying my garbage. Like you're buying my trash from me. So I thought that was like kind of funny. It's like, okay, dude, like here's your like secondhand vanity. Well, third hand at this point, just that's fine. Like I'll help you carry it out. I don't like need any advice. And on top of that, the guy didn't like even negotiate with me. He just asked, he paid me what I was asking. So I thought that was like super funny. <clears throat> now that I'm uh, got a flip going on, like I've been listening to like a lot more like radio and like Spotify and like podcasts and stuff like that. And I have like a little, like maybe like three or four like podcasts that I, I listen to on a regular basis. And they're, they're kind of like all over the board. Some of them are entertainment. Some of them are like more like news politics. Some of them are like comedy. And then some of them are like, um, about like movies and stuff. And so I'm not going to name the podcast I was listening to, but, um, I kind of had like, I was listening to one that I listened to like quite a bit and the guys on are just like normal guys. And there was a one episode and they were like saying some stuff that was kind of weird, but I have like a problem with it now because I was listening to it. It's these two guys. They're probably like close to my age, you know, like middle-aged. And I had like a little bit of problem with one of the guys that was talking, like what he was saying on a podcast, um, like it disgusted me. And I just want to, if that guy's listening, which he should, I want to give him advice and I want to give men everywhere advice. So I was, I was listening to this podcast and one of the hosts was talking about a reoccurring fantasy that he has about driving his truck out into like the woods, out into the mountains, and then just abandoning his truck and just walking out into nature and just, just like walking away from his life and just just going out there and just living like a, like a primitive lifestyle. Like, and he was like, well, the fantasy, this is kind of like this guy's philosophy. He was saying that everything in your life is just like window dressing, like, like bullshit. It's like not real. The, the meaning, well, he, he said like, your life should just be about being alive and nothing else in your like life should man matter. So like, having a job and everything else is just like filler that we do. And it's all like, a, it's all like a, an illusion. It's all fake. And he said that there's also in his opinion that there's no purpose to life. And I just thought that just like disgusted the living hell out of me. And here's a couple reasons why. 
And I think I, I, st- I turned the podcast off right there because the guy's a fucking loser. That's like a loser attitude, number for starters. The guy has a wife and two kids. So he's basically saying like every day I think about just saying fuck my wife and my two kids. I'm just going to like go out and like live in the woods in nature like a wild man. And the, I like have a problem with that because you're basically shitting on your family in a public forum. Anyone can listen to the podcast. What if your wife listened to it? What if your family members listen to you saying like every day I think about abandoning this stuff because it's just an illusion. I mean, that's like a pretty crappy thing to do. The other thing is you're showing weakness to everybody that would ever listen to your podcast. So all those beliefs, I mean, that's just like a weak mentality and saying that like, I mean, that's like a cry for help. Basically, if you're saying like everything's an illusion, I think about abandoning it every day. There's not no meaning to life. In my mind, that's like a huge cry for help. And it could actually be like a, like a subconscious cry for help because he was saying it like, I guess with like an upbeat, like very matter of fact, where he's like, well, I mean, the only real reason that you should have to be alive is to like stay alive and to like get your next meal. And it's like, hey, fuckface, people previously in history took care of all that shit for you to make your life better. Life and existence gets better the farther that you like go. So if you ever look at history, like I always talk about like you need to like study history. I guess you have to need to study history so you're not a boneheaded fucking moron like this guy who's like, well, we should only be like thinking about where where our next meal comes from. People like my ancestors figure that shit out for me so I don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? So they just like drove me insane. And it's like your audience, like, dude, I'm listening to this podcast, not for like, I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to hear your like dystopian, like nihilistic view of life. Like I, it's an entertainment podcast. Like, I don't want to hear that. So it was like really disgusting. And he, the way it came off is like, he wasn't even like really aware of like how disgusting that sounded. So I think that it was more of a subconscious thing. Uh, His that reoccurring fantasy is basically his subconscious, like sounding an alarm in his head. And he was too stupid to like figure out what that like daydream or that fantasy really meant. And I'll tell you and him, if he's listening, that means that you like hate your life and you need to like change something in your life. Maybe it's like too routine. You're doing a job you don't like. Maybe you live somewhere you don't like. You just like need to make a change. You don't need to fucking walk off and abandon everyone who like relies on you. That's horrible. And you sound like a pussy and a loser. So you just need to like make some different, some like major changes in your life that aren't abandoning your family. So I think that we all need to be like really, you need to be really, really cognizant of like where your subconscious goes. And obviously this guy's subconscious goes to this like daydream. Well, we always have things when you're like not being like mindful of what you're like thinking about. You have your subconscious is going to like basically determine like what you're thinking about. And that's something that like if you want to be successful or even if you just want a life that you don't hate, you need to be you need to pay attention to your subconscious because your subconscious is really what determines like your life. So like subconsciously, you'll Everything you do, like day to day, is like basically your subconscious. 
So like any routine that you have, you know, like, let's say you get up at a certain time, you like take a shower, you do things in a certain order, all that stuff is like subconscious. But if you're not careful, like your subconscious, like gets lazy and you just do things that feel good and it doesn't necessarily like improve your life. So that's my little rant about, um, first of all, not showing your weakness to the outside world. And then second of all, uh, minding your subconscious and, and really being like cognizant of like what you're thinking about. So anyway, that just like, that, I, I don't know, that just like really bothered me. It bothered me as a, a listener. And it also like bothered me because it made me feel bad for the guy. So the whole thing was just disgusting. It just turned me off. Um, so anyway, you don't be that guy, be different. So I'm going to talk a little bit about like, I think that being different is like, one of the most important things that like you should do. And, you know, pretty much my whole life, I've always like thought differently than other people. Um, and just in, instinctively, like I've gone kind of like against the grain in a lot of ways, you know, like, um, for a long time, like I just went, like went with the flow, you know, I went, you know, I played sports in high school. I like studied hard. I thought I, I wanted to like go to like college to get like a good job. And then in, you know, in college, you know, I went to college, I like played the game and all that. And then like, I got in trouble and then I, I kind of like woke up and I was like, well, I'm, you know, I don't like to do the same thing that a lot of other people do. And maybe that's why I had to get, uh, use like alcohol to like, I don't want to say like dumb myself down, but like kind of like numb myself to what was like going on. So I could kind of like go with the crowd because, you know, when you're like young, you, you like want like peer pressure, like you want to be a part of things. So I didn't want to be like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? So I've always kind of been different. And, and then probably like within the last 10 or 12 years, I really like started embracing it after I got in trouble, like, because my life was basically like in shambles and I needed to like rebuild it. And I was like, I'm not going to do what I'd been doing. I'm going to like totally change. So I embraced being different. And if you look, a lot of the most successful and happiest people are different and they do things different. And I think that it's really important if you want to be successful, if you want to start a successful business, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur or just even like a happy, successful person, you have to be different and you have to like uh, go to the beat of your own drum, I guess, in a lot of ways. And I think you have to act different and I think you just have to do things differently. So, I mean, just think about like, and I always say like, you know, I feel like from the time we go to kindergarten all through school, like you're basically like conditioned to be the same as everyone else and like act the same. And, you know, you're going to school to like get an education and get like a high paying job and blah, blah, blah. And like all this thing, you're like, they want you to be like lockstep, you know? And there's like a lot of reasons for that. One is like, it keeps the kids like under control. If everyone has the same goal, and there's no opposing goals like going on in the classroom. The teacher can like control what's happening. So that's kind of like ingrained in you throughout school, you know, and then if you get like a corporate job or like a normal job, nine to five office job, it's kind of the same, you know, they set up like the, the path to happiness, I guess, of the company and like social norms and all that. Well, not so much social norms, but like the path to happiness and like the, you know, you get into the game and all that. 
So it's like if everyone is like shooting for a high paying job, I mean, just think about it. So if you have 200,000 people and they all want to be like a mid and they, let's say you have 200,000 people and they all want to be the number like 10 person at Facebook who makes like $2 million a year. There's only one position for all those people that want to do that. So it's just not going to work out if you think about it rationally. So if everyone wants to get like a, like a cushy corporate job, high paying corporate job, or like if here's kind of like when I was in college, it seemed like everyone wanted to go to law school. Right. So like everyone was studying for like the LSAT and I was like, well, like I, I would like really like to be a lawyer. You know, I think that would be like a a good fit for me. (laughs) That's what I thought back then. Uh, now it's like, I'm happy to become a lawyer. That'd be a fucking terrible fit for me. Because you have to like dress reasonably every day. I go to work every day in sweatpants. Well, now it's it's summer, so I wear cutoff sweatpants and a t-shirt. Uh, you can't wear cutoff sweatpants and a t-shirt as a lawyer. So that would have like not worked for me at all. But I was kind of like going with the crowd. And I was studying to take the LSAT. And I took like, I think like a Kaplan class or something like that, where like a whole bunch of like people were in there like studying for the LSAT. And the economy was bad. And I was reading all the stuff about how like lawyers, they're just basically like turning out lawyers because there's so many law schools and there's all these different tiers of law schools. And, and I was like, well, I, my practice LSATs, I'm like not get I, I'm not going to be going to like Michigan or UCLA or like any like top tier like law school. So like, what am I doing here? You know, like I, it's not like a good fit. And there's there's like a, a saturation of, of lawyers. That's why when you drive through big cities, there's like tons of humongous billboards that are like referral sites for law firms or just like tons of billboards of like different lawyers. And it's like at that time, there was just like too much of a saturation. So, you know, if everyone's shooting at the same target, it's good to be different, like aim at another target that other people aren't looking at. So I think it's good to be different when you're looking for a career job. I also think it's good to be different when you're thinking about like investing. So um, lots of people invest in the stock market because they don't know any better or um, most of the time they don't know any better or like they have a 401k so their employer matches it and they have a limited uh, options of where they can uh, invest their money. And then also like, the best way to invest in the stock market is that you buy low and sell high. But if you think about it, everyone has this herd mentality. And when the stock market is going really good, like it was like a year ago, everyone like wants to put their money in it. So they're buying high. And then when something happens like the coronavirus or like a financial crisis, everyone freaks out and they pull their money out. So even though the correct way to do is to buy high, excuse me, to buy low and sell high, everyone basically does the exact opposite. And that's the herd mentality I'm talking about. So I'm not talking about like you have to be a total freak and do things totally differently. I'm just saying like if you act a little bit differently, you know, shoot at a different target or do the opposite of the herd, you know, it's going to improve your lot. And today's idea is um, pretty simple. I mean, it's a real simple, straightforward idea. And um, I got to say like before I was in like in into real estate, you know, I didn't even like know this existed. I actually thought that this was illegal. Isn't that ridiculous? Like I thought that this idea was completely illegal. I didn't think you can even do this on your own, but it's not by the way. And if you do this, you can make uh, a lot of money. 
And what it is, is it's um, private lending. So when I'm talking about private lending, it's I'm going to be talking specifically about real estate because that's what I know and I'm familiar with and that I do. I know there's also like private lending, like uh, private payday loans. I kind of touched on that a couple episodes ago or like private like funding for cars, like if you have a car dealership. But for this idea, I'm just talking about like uh, doing private lending for real estate. And, you know, I work with private lenders all the time. Um, I've done some private lending. So I flip houses. And like I said, a couple um, a couple episodes ago, like I don't invest any of my own money. So I use private lenders to flip houses, to buy the houses, um, to fund the rehabs. Like I'm already like managing all the guys working on it and doing some of the work myself and making sure that I'm getting a good deal when I buy it, making sure that all my subcontractors and construction things go off uh, without a hitch. And then I sell the place. So I'm taking on all all the risk by signing um, the loan documents. And I'm also like doing all the work so I'm not going to invest my own money. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can, I'll invest other people's money and, and spread the risk out be, between me and them. And it's like a win-win situation. So like I flip a house, I make a lot of money and my investors make a lot of money. And anyone can really like do this on either side. So anyone can, anyone with extra money to loan money can do this. And anyone who wants to uh, borrow money, like someone like myself can um, use private loans to purchase real estate and you can um, loan money to do um, you can lend money to do like all kinds of different real estate transactions. So some people um, will lend money to like, let's say, well, here's one scenario that I know people that do people do this. So let's say you have somebody and, for example, like my plumber and my plumber, he has been a plumber for like 15 years and he's in the plumbing union and, um, 13 years ago. So for the first 13 years of his career, he was a union plumber for like a big, um, plumbing company in town. And then, um, like a year and a half ago, he, um, took over his dad's one man union plumbing like contracting firm. So he went from being like an employee of a big plumbing company to like a owner of his own like plumbing practice in the union. So he's been a plumber for 15 years and he was taking over his dad's business. Well, his dad's been in business as just a solo plumbing firm for like 30 years. And he wanted to buy a house. Well, the problem was they were like, well, you've only like had this job as a plumber for a year and a half which yeah, like that's true. He only has like receipts from like owning his own like plumbing firm for a year and a half, like out on his own, but he's been a plumber for 15 years. He's taken over his dad's firm, which has like been in business for 30 years. He already has customers, already has work, but because of underwriting like guidelines at a bank, they couldn't loan him, like use a conventional loan or FHA loan to like loan him money to buy a house. So that's like pretty ridiculous because he's not going out of business. Um, he has like disability insurance through the union. So if he fell off a ladder and like broke both his legs and he couldn't work for like six months, he would still be getting paid. But they like denied him a loan because they're like, well, you haven't been in business long enough. So that's like a little ridiculous because he wanted to buy a house. So he like came to us and like asked us and we're like, well, like we know like private lenders, they can just 
they can just loan you the money for like two years or however long you need to be able to refinance them out to get a bank loan. So let's say like, uh, just for simple math, um, the house that he needed was like $200,000. He needed to put 5% down to the private lenders. So that's $10,000. And then they loaned him, um, yeah, that's right. They loaned him like $190,000 and um, the interest rate that they charge is higher, obviously, because it's a private loan and it's more risk for them, right? So they loan him $190,000 on a 30-year amortization uh, schedule, um, but it is only like a two-year loan and then like a balloon payment after two years. So he just has the loan with the private lender for like six year, six months or a year, and then he goes back to the bank and says, all right, I've been in business for two years. They write him a loan, like an FHA or a conventional loan, um, uh, and then they refinance the house and then get rid of the private lender. So like in the meantime, the private lender is getting like between 6 and 8% <clears throat> for basically, I guess, I guess I would call it kind of like a bridge loan. The way I use private lenders is I use them on a flip and I use them for like purchasing um, and also for like doing the repairs. And um, it can be like a variety of different like interest rates. I'll pay the private lenders depending on the amount of risk that they're exposed to. So let's say like I need to buy something that's like pretty expensive and I have to get multiple lenders involved. So let's say I buy something that's like $500,000 and I my pool of lenders, let's say, they only have $250,000 each and I need to buy, I need $500,000 to buy the house and I need another $100,000 to like do the repairs. So because no one is going to have like, uh, no one is going to have like a clear like first position as far as like, no one's going to be lending me all the money. So I'm going to pay them like a little bit higher like interest rate because, um, there's going to be like basically like three liens on the property. So if I really shit the bed and like something happens or I, I can't complete it or like the market like totally bottoms out um, and they had to like take it away from me, like they would just get like a um, one third share between the three of them. So I might pay them a little bit like higher interest rate on that. So I typically pay my lenders depending on the risk, um, 6% to 15%. And a typical deal for me, like if I'm flipping houses, um, is uh, is um, a 12% uh, two-year balloon loan. So what that means is if I borrow $200,000 from you at, after two years, so I'll get the money. I don't have to make any payments to you until like the end of the two years. Um, at the end of two years, uh, if I take it out for 12%, like at the end of two years, um, I would be paying you, uh, if I had $200,000, like all close to 50 grand, I guess. Well, no, let's say a hundred, let's just do easy math. So if I borrowed a hundred thousand dollars from you, it would be a two year loan. And at the end of the loan, I would owe you uh, $24,000 because it'd be $12,000 each year. So after two years, it'd be $24,000. Or a lot of times what I do is I'll say like, um, I'll take this loan out just for like the length of the project. So at the end of the project, I'll just pay you all, pay you back every, all of the interest in like a balloon payment when I sell the property. So if it's like six months, 
I take it $100,000 from you at 12%, I would pay you $6,000. Sorry, that got a little confusing. That, my bad. Um, so that's like a typical like flip deal for me. So like if you're like an investor, uh, a private lender for me, like those are like pretty good returns, right? And the only real risk that you have is if I completely fuck up, if I make a bad deal, um, or the market drops out, or my construction costs run so far over that I'm like upside down at the end of it. But like, let's say you find somebody like me who, who's been doing this for a long time and knows what they're doing and has a good track record and has never lost their investors any money. I've paid my investors every cent and every cent of like interest that I owe them because I know if I like, if I fuck up and my lenders don't get the money back, that they're never going to lend me money again. So I'll pay my investors back before I pay myself um, because without investors, like, I, you know, without lenders, like I'd basically be screwed. I'd be investing my own money, which I don't want to do. So <clears throat> let's say you're like, yeah, I have some money and like, I want to do this. How do I get involved in this? So um, if you want to get involved, uh, you can contact me. <laughs> um, or what you can do is you can go to like a local real estate like meetup or a local real estate like investors club. They're in like every like major city or even like medium sized cities, especially right now too, because real estate is like still like pretty sexy. And um, and kind of the scenario I talked talked about like six six to fifteen percent like returns like those are like pretty standard. Um, so you want to just basically go to like a real estate meetup or real estate investors meeting and just like start networking and you'll get like an idea of like, of like who the people are, who do, who do flips, who do rentals, the people who know what's going on, the people who don't know what's going on. So you kind of just have to like do your best to like vet these people and kind of like get to know, know them, get to like know their track record. And a lot of times like in these groups, there's also going to be, be people there who are just like there to like do private lending and a lot of these guys um, are going to be people who have like a lot of rentals and they a lot of times like have like done flips in the past, but they're like just too old, uh, not too old, but like they've done it. They don't really want to do it anymore. It's just easier for them um, to loan out money. And these are good people to like partner up with because you could maybe like um, you can maybe like partner up with them, like say like they have uh, $400,000 to loan out and you only have like twenty five. You could basically like pull your money in with somebody like that um, and like share in the returns that way to kind of get your feet wet. And um, so people like use private funding for flips. They use it on like bridge purchases like I talked about. And then a lot of people just use them for like just regular like regularly like buying rentals. So the way that would work is like let's say like um, I wanted to buy a rental. And what I want to do with my rental is I want to like buy something really cheap and then I want to like rehab it and then bring the value up high enough to be able to um, get a regular bank loan on it. But in order to get like a regular bank loan on a rental, a lot of times like uh, and to, to do this like refinance, I'm going to need to have like a renter in there for a, a specific period of time. And that period of time is called like a seasoning period. So a lot of times it's like six months. So like let's say in this scenario, I need – um, I need like a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and what I'm going to do with a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to purchase the property and I'm going to fix it up. But the property after I fix it up is going to be worth like one fifty, 
and um, I'm going to be able to get like $1,500 or yeah, let's say I'm going to be able to get $1,500 of rent out of it after I rehab it, but I don't have the money. I need a private lender and a bank isn't going to lend me the money to purchase it and like fix it up. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to borrow the $100,000 from a private lender, fix the place up, put a renter in there for six months. And then at the end of the six months, then I'll be able to go get like a regular bank loan and that'll refinance out the private lender. So there's a lot of different scenarios where you use private lending um, in real estate. And I think that's a really good avenue because you can get like really high returns, right? I mean, a 15% return for uh, year, like it, you're not ever really going to get that on the stock market unless you're like someone who knows tons about the stock market, right? or if you're following it every day, or if you're in that industry. So that's the idea of the day. It's pretty straightforward, but it's like really powerful. It's a really good, I really like that one a lot. Um, I think that's an easy way to make money. And, um, you know, I know people who do that and they make a lot of money. <clears throat> so moving along to the, I, the, uh, the business for sale that I like, and I really like this one because I, I'm familiar with this kind of stuff. And what it is, is it's a pre-engineered steel building and drywall contractor in Texas. And it, uh, I don't think it says where exactly it is in Texas. It says located in West Texas, this company is a general contractor specializing in providing pre-engineered steel buildings, commercial drywall, and acoustic ceiling installations for hospitals, government agencies, universities, and schools. Um. So it's a pretty interesting, they want 1.5 million for it, but here's the kicker. This thing cash flows $755,000 a year, and it does a gross revenue of 6.8 million. Those are real good numbers. The other thing is um, pre-engineered steel buildings, like putting those up, um, assembling them and everything like that, and getting permits for those, that's like pretty straightforward. So a lot of times like a pre-engineered steel building, that's going to be for like um, maybe like a small business, uh, maybe like uh, on someone's land that has a farm or like a cattle ranch or something like that. The other thing is uh, drywall. Uh, that's like a pretty straightforward business. I guess for me, this is straightforward because I'm like familiar with this kind of stuff. I'm familiar with the construction. It's also good that it's like in commercial because if you like land a job, like putting in uh, drywalling a hospital or putting in a, a acoustic ceiling tiles at a hospital that can go on for like a long time. So if you land a couple of those, like you're set for a while. Also like doing work at universities and schools and stuff like that's pretty solid. Cause those are like big contracts, big contracts that um, go on for a while. The other amazing thing about this business, it was established in 1951. So it's been going on 67 years. So if you've been going on that long, you obviously have a good reputation. Um, they work with a whole bunch of like a wide variety of different, um, uh, do a wide variety of jobs. Like I said, they do large jobs, hospitals, governments. They also do, um, it looks like uh, new construction housing and stuff like that. So that's like pretty impressive. I really like that. I think that like drywall businesses are like pretty good. A lot of people like don't want to touch drywall uh, for whatever reason. But like I know a guy in town here, he has like a they have like a little family owned like drywall business. They do three hundred thousand dollars gross income a month in Omaha, Nebraska, doing drywall. Uh, that's like a lot of money a year. You know, even if you're only making ten percent, you know, that's like three hundred uh, thirty thousand dollars a month. That's good. 
So all their in, uh, inventory is also included in the asking price. That's good. Uh, it doesn't really go into specifics, but I'm guessing like you're going to be buying a lot of drywall. Um, they have 13 employees. The other thing that's great is they're uh, open to doing seller financing, which that's a plus. Thumbs up. The other thing is support and training. The owner will be available for a transition and a management team is in place and the employees will stay on after the sale. So like a management team, like somebody running in the day to day, I mean, that's like totally amazing because if you can have someone that's been there for like a long time, this thing's been around for 67 years. What if the like, what if the like manager that's managing it has like been doing it for 10 years and you just have to make sure that he doesn't fuck anything up. I mean, that's like, that's like the ideal thing. So I'm like really surprised. I don't know. Uh, the sites I look at to find these businesses for sale, I don't know how long. It doesn't say how long they've been listed for obvious reasons because most businesses don't sell. So, like, there's, been, I'm sure there's, like, I've, there's businesses that I've seen on here for, like, years and years that won't sell. I don't know how long this one um, has been uh, on the market, but the numbers look good from here. Uh, I don't live in Texas, but... This is compelling. I mean, if it cash flows half of what it, they're asking for it. Um, and like businesses like this are great because like a pre-engineered steel buildings and drywall contractor, that's not like super sexy. There isn't like people lining up to like open drywall businesses or like metal, metal building businesses, but like obviously there's money in it. Um, so if you'd like more information about the specific listing, um, it is listed by IAG the buyer's division of IAG. Um, and they can be reached at 888-567-3523. Um, or if you would like additional information, you can always contact me. Um, I'll put my contact info in the show notes as always. So moving along, we're going to go into our help section. And the help section is where I talk about a specific person that's reached out to me. Kind of give you a little background on them. And then they're basically saying, help, what do I do with my life? And this one's a little bit different than the last one we did because this one's just someone starting out, someone fresh. And remember, I, I changed the names to protect the innocent. So this kid we're going to call Dustin Jackson. He's 18 years old, so he's graduating high school this upcoming year. Um Likes to play football, plays baseball, enjoys socializing as one wants to do at that age. Not really sure what he wants to do with life. Hasn't really, doesn't really know. So that's what he's asking. He's had a summer job the last two summers as a construction laborer for a concrete business. Not wild about that. Doesn't really like concrete. I get it. It's a little, that's a hot job. A hot job. We have to do a lot of heavy lifting. So I understand. So he likes to play sports. That's fine. Doesn't know what he wants to do. Can't decide if he wants to go to college. He's taking the ACT, SAT, whatever. Can get into college. Not sure he wants to go. Doesn't really have like a feel for things. So I would say the first thing you have to do, you obviously know you don't want to like be a concrete finisher. You don't want to do like flat concrete work. That's fine. Not a lot of people do. I sure as hell don't. Um... But what I would do is I would just like go get like some job, just go get like some job, get like a little bit of like work experience. And then what I would do is with the money you're getting from that job, like I think he's still living, he's living at home, like every 18 year old or 19 year old. Seems like kids live at home until they're like 30 now. 
I lived at home until I was 27, so I can't say, not until I was 27. I lived at home for a while after I got out of college. Um, I just like went on a rant at the beginning of this about not showing weakness and not being a bitch. And I just told everyone that I lived at home for a number of years after college. Really sad. Um, so we'll, we'll fix it in post. So what I would do is I would just go like get some job that you can get with like high school diploma. And just like get a feeling for like what you like and you don't like. I mean, you can go get a job, work at it for like a month or two and then quit and go to a different job. And then what I would also do is I would just like go to a community college, like you could just do it part time in the evenings and just like start knocking down some classes that you know you're that are like going to be prerequisites for like anything that you could possibly want to do. So in college, they like make you take all these idiotic classes like English 101. If I made it to college, I know how to fucking speak English and I know how to read and write. But you're going to have to like jump through those hoops um, to get any college degree or like any degree like an associate's degree. So I would start like kind of like going down the route of like, what do I like to do? What do I not like to do? Because like if you've only had one job as a construction laborer, like you're not going to really like know that much as far as like what you excel at and what you don't excel at. Like socializing, so maybe like go out and get like a sales job. So like if you like talking to people, you're a people person, maybe like a sales job would suit you. You don't need a college degree to get a sales job. If you can talk and you can communicate and you can convince somebody of something, um, that's great for a salesman. And then also like getting, having a sales job like helps you become a better salesman because you're going to get a lot of up to bats. They're going to like teach you. If you go somewhere good, they're going to coach you. So like I would just like play around with some like jobs while I take night school because you can take like part-time night school classes. Like here in Omaha, there's a, a community college, super che cheap to take those classes. They transfer to like every major university in um, Nebraska and I think a lot in Iowa and Kansas. So like maybe you'll get like a feeling for like what you want to do like while you're working these jobs and because you're going to have a job, you're going to be able to like pay for these night school classes you're taking. So you're not just going to be like spending money at a university, um, racking up all the student debt, you're kind of going to kind of get like the best of both worlds. So you're going to be able to get some exposure in the workplace and like start knocking some classes down. So that would be my advice is to find out what exactly you do, do and don't want to do while you're knocking out some prerequisites. So Dustin, go that route. See how it suits you. If you're like, I definitely want to be a chemist or something like that, then like go to a university. So that's my help section. Um, and I really wish I like would have done that out of high school because like, I feel like coming out of high school, like I already like knew how to make money. And then I went to like college and I was just like uh, on like a five-year like fuck off plan. So Dustin, try that out. See how you like it. You're 18. You have a lot of life ahead of you. So there's no reason to rush. Like you can go to, you can go to fucking college when you're 25 if you want to. So try to get a lot of the like time-consuming, money-consuming bullshit out of the way before you go um, start taking on loads of debt. So the next, I'm moving right along to my three critiques, and I got some rants mixed in here. The first one is I know a girl, she um, is a nurse, but she wants to do some kind of little side hustle, and she wants to, I don't know exactly which one, but she wants to get into multi-level marketing, maybe like selling makeup. And 
I know people like have a lot of uh, likes or dislikes about like multi-level marketing. But let me like lay it out this way. So this girl has only ever like been a nurse. She's never like done anything entrepreneurial. She's never like done anything like being self-employed or like setting her own schedule or like doing sales or anything like that. So I actually think that multi-level marketing is like a good thing for her. And here's why in multi-level marketing, they like, they're going to, they're going to like coach you and like help you and like teach you. And they're going to give you like some basic scripts and some like basic ideas. And the ones she's looking at are like, they're not like anything like totally crazy. You know, they're like pretty like standard, like Rodan and field, or like, I think like Mary Kay is one of them. So like pretty like standard, like reputable stuff, nothing too crazy. I think that's like really good for someone who like wants to like dip their toe into being an entrepreneur because guess what? Being an entrepreneur, going out on your own, trying shit out on your own, falling on your face with no safety net, like you have in the corporate world or like being a nurse. Um, it's pretty scary for people. And I think that it's a really good idea to like, um, dip your toe into the entrepreneurial world and multi-level marketing is a good way because like you have a, some support, right? The person that re recruited you and the company they're going to like be working with is going to give you like some support. They're going to give you some guidance. Like for me, there's no fucking guidance for what I do. Like I go figure it out. And if I don't figure it out, right, I get fucked. So I like multi-level marketing. It gives people like a taste to see if like it's, if they're right for it. And I saw, like, I, I saw this kid on, on like Facebook that I went to college with and he was like, he like posted some like Facebook video about like the evils of multi-level multi marketing. And I was like, that disgusted me too, because I was like, oh dude, you're so brave. He works for the fucking federal government. Dude, fuck you. You've never done anything like that. So who are you to judge people that like want to try something different? you know, and get off the government teat, like you're pathetic. What a fucking loser. So I think it's like really good because it like helps people like get out of their comfort zone, like try something different. And people are like, Oh, well it costs. Yeah. It might cost like a couple hundred dollars. Like it's not that big of a fucking deal. You're already paying like a hundred dollars a month for your iPhone and your phone, you know, your cell phone. So I think it's good to like branch out. So I was like, yeah, like give it a try. If you like it, great. I know people have done multi-level marketing and they make like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I know one person that makes a couple million dollars a year because they got in at the beginning and the company was really good and it exploded and it's, and he, they have like tons of people working under them. And Oh, by the way, I also sell real estate. Um, when you go to work for a real estate broker, it's a multi-level marketing company. Fucking use your head. Um, so the next one is I know someone and they want to get in. They want to start either, I guess not either, but and or um, a company that is a limo and or a town car service. And they want to start in Las Vegas. So, um yeah, I think that's like pretty cool. I think you can make money doing that. The competition in Las Vegas is going to be real fierce because there's tons of cabs, there's tons of limos, there's tons of town cars. But if you can like make it a couple years and like build up your fleet and you do a good job and it's clean and you're on time and you're not gouging people and you have friendly drivers um, who 
are like respectful and conversational if you initiate the conversation with them, right? Because we've all taken cabs or town cars and the fucking like driver wants to know your life story. I think a driver in Las Vegas and he asked me and my wife what we do for a living. And I, and I was like, Oh, like we're like in construction. And my wife was like, well, we flip houses. And then he went on this like huge diatribe and he was trying to give us all this advice. It's like, dude, I don't take house flipping advice from a fucking town car driver. No offense, pal. But yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, a town car service in Omaha, Nebraska. Absolutely not. So the market has to be right for it. I, I think you could also find um, a limo town car business for sale and buy. That would be a better start than um, just starting it up yourself. But I like that. Um, and people are going to be like, well, what about like Uber, blah, blah. Uber doesn't really like for town cars or like limos. Uber is mostly just for like cabs, I think. If I ever like want a town car, I'm not going to get on Uber. It's a different experience. Like if I want a town car, I'm not like cost sensitive, like someone taking Uber. I'm not a fucking college student. So <clears throat> I like that. The next one is like pretty similar. It's starting a hotshot business. If you don't know what a hotshot business is, it's basically like a trucking business, but, um, oh God, have I done this already? I don't think so. Um, it's basically like a trucking business, but like for short distances. So, um, the times that, I, so when I was in college, I worked for U-Haul for a while <coughs> and U-Haul, um, they obviously rent trucks, but they also like install hitches on like vehicles permanent towing hitches. So like if you need to tow a trailer and you have a truck, but it doesn't have a hitch, um, you can buy a hitch and have it installed there. And we used a hotshot company. And what they would do is if like, we didn't have the right hitch in Lincoln and we needed it, this company, this hotshot trucking business, what they would do um, is they had trucks that like basically just ran between Omaha and Lincoln, um, all day long. And they would transport like, uh, items, uh, usually like, obviously like business to business items. So like for us, they would transport, um, hitches for other companies. They might transport like, um, uh, industrial equipment or like industrial supplies. So they might like <clears throat> bring pretty much like anything you can think of. So they might bring like, um, something like the railroad might use them to like bring, well, not the railroad. That doesn't make sense. <clears throat> but like, let's say like a uh, Duncan aviation and Lincoln needed like, um, some aviation part from a company by like Epley airfield. And they needed it like that day, they would call this like hotshot business. And the, this business would bring it from Omaha to Lincoln or vice versa. So it's basically like a short, um, it could also be like just across town too. So, um, it's basically just like a short, um, uh, short route, like trucking business, but for things that are like bigger or like heavier than like a UPS or FedEx would do. <clears throat> so I think, and shot hotshot businesses are also like really popular in like oil fields. So I think like, depending on like where you, you have to obviously like research the market a lot, um, for like a hotshot business. Uh, like I said, an oil field, like I knew some people that owned one in like an oil field in like East Texas, they would hotshot things from um, East Texas, like Houston to like oil fields in Louisiana and like that part of the country. They were busy all the time because they're um, running around like drilling parts, special specialty like contracting parts for um, oil fields, stuff like that. And they made like four or five million dollars a year. 
<clears throat> and the drivers, even I knew like a kid who was a driver for him and he made like 125 grand a year. Um, so obviously like you want to, um, you want to do a lot of research on the market and, um, obviously you'd have to just, you're going to have some like capital investment cause you need like a truck, um, that can haul stuff. You need like, um, you know, like a DOT and everything like that. But I think it could potentially be good if you're like in the right market. I know that the place in like Omaha, um, that serves like Omaha, Lincoln, Des Moines. I know that they've like really expanded over the last like five years. So obviously there is, uh, a demand out there for it. So I, I like that one. Hopefully I haven't done that before. Now that I'm like talking about it, it seems kind of familiar, but hopefully I haven't done that before, but hotshot business I like. Um, and a lot of places too, like a hotshot business, they might just like do deliveries. So like, I know a guy here in town that has a different one and he just does like deliveries for like plumbing parts. Um, I know other people that have them that just do like deliveries for like, um, appliance, like retailers. Um, so here in Omaha, we have a company called Nebraska Furniture Mart. It's also in Kansas City and Dallas. <clears throat> and the company that does all their deliveries is actually like not Nebraska Furniture Mart. It's a third, it's a, it's a, it's its own business. It's um, Ford Van Lines. And that's basically all they do is they're just a hotshot service for Nebraska Furniture Mart. So anyway, I think that's good. Uh, appreciate you guys joining me today, stopping by. Um, please follow me on Facebook. Um, please also subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And I guess I've actually been lying to you. I actually don't think this podcast is on Apple podcast. If I go to Apple podcast on Google, it comes up, but, uh, according to anchor FM, which is what I record this and distributed on, I'm not on there. So I have to figure that out. So for all you Apple listeners, I apologize. I've been lying, but I'm definitely on Spotify, so you're probably listening on Spotify. Subscribe there and um, like me on Facebook and follow me on Facebook and also on Instagram. So anyway, appreciate you guys stopping by. Until next time, later.